Lauren laid out so poignantly the trouble with love your neighbor. Sometimes we feel like our neighbor doesn't deserve it. Sometimes we feel like we just can't, no matter how hard we try. Love your neighbor, as a blanket rule, has always struck me as a little unreasonable, too. Maybe everyone deserves to be loved by God, but is everyone in the world entitled to be loved by me? It's a really tall order. And yet the command to love your neighbor, or to love your neighbor as yourself, is central in the Hebrew scriptures, the Christian scriptures, and many other traditions as well. I guess it all comes down to what you mean by love. There's romantic love, love between parents and children, love between friends, sexual love, love of an ideal or a country or community. In some Christian understandings, the highest form of love, the goal, is what's called agape love. This is a Greek word that refers to a kind of pure, platonic, unconditional, selfless love. It's supposed to be a kind of love that you give without expecting anything back in return. Some explain it as a disinterested love, in that it has nothing to do with who you're loving. Whether that person is a lovable person, nice, not nice, attractive, not attractive, related to you or not, you love them generically and purely. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, took this concept to the extreme, and he concluded that the highest form of this agape, disinterested love would be love towards someone who is dead. If they're already dead, the love can't be reciprocated. You can't possibly benefit from it. You can't get a return on your investment. So that love, he says, is the purest of all. He writes, therefore, go out and practice it. Remember one dead and learn in just this way to love the living disinterestedly, freely, faithfully. In relation to one dead, you have the criterion whereby you can test yourself as a Christian lover. This almost seems like a parody of itself, but it's real, and it expresses clearly that particular understanding of loving your neighbor. It's love as an internal experience, a feeling. It's not relational, it's disembodied. You're not required to do anything, you just have to feel it. You can be fulfilling your religious obligation to love your neighbor even if your neighbor is dead, especially if they're dead. <laughs> Feminist ethicists have critiqued this concept of disinterested love for years. They say that disinterested love isn't a real-world love. It doesn't necessarily do the loved one any good. Real love, say these critics, is intensely interested and it's messy. It's the love of a mother, for example. It's emotional, but it's also active. It's practical. The lover makes sacrifices for the loved one who is very much alive, whether they feel like it or not, and whether or not they feel the love at that particular moment. So on the opposite end of the continuum from Kierkegaard is the ideal of practical, 
intensely interested love. We'll call this the Tevye and Golda from Fiddler on the Roof love. Their understanding of love is extreme in the other direction. Love has nothing to do with feelings at all. It's about what you do. A little while ago, Jay and Pat so beautifully depicted this. In this story, this newfangled idea of romantic love has hit the shtetl in Tsarist Russia, and these peasants don't know what to make of it. Their marriage was arranged by their parents long ago, and the feeling, was lo- uh, the feeling of love was seen as a side benefit that may come with time. When Golda washed Tevye's clothes, cooked his meals, and milked the cow, it was anything but disinterested. She absolutely had a stake in doing those things, keeping her husband cared for and the family running. She was involved and entangled with him and him with her, and it was inconceivable that it could be any other way. She fulfilled her religious obligation to love through her actions. And by the end of the song, Tevye and Golda decide that cumulatively, the day-to-day practical devotion to one another adds up to love. And they sing, it doesn't change a thing, but after 25 years, it's nice to know. So in one corner, we have Kierkegaard. In the other corner, we have Golda. I think in most people's experience, love is a little bit of each. It includes both the feeling and the actions. The loving feelings inspire the loving actions, and the loving actions inspire the loving feelings. But to me, it's the loving actions that are most compelling. It's the actions that are in the service of love itself. Universalism teaches of a loving God or a universe made in love, grounded in love, and propelling us all toward salvation in love. I believe that this is real. But that universal love can stay trapped in a Kierkegaardian abstraction. It can be inaccessible until death, unless it's realized through our actions on this earth. Many spiritual traditions teach about loving our neighbor in exactly this way. When we perform loving actions, we are expressing God's love or universal love. We are channeling it and making it available to sentient beings. It's kind of like how sugar in our bloodstream is only available to power our brains and our bodies when it's processed by insulin. Without insulin, the sugar can't get in. We humans are like the insulin that processes universal love and gives it an entry point and makes it useful in this world. To me, this is a really beautiful idea, and I try to let it inspire my actions. I do it very imperfectly, but I want to be a channel for that universal love. And in order to do that, I don't think I actually have to feel love for the person I'm dealing with. I don't even have to like them. The feeling side of things can be God's business. My job is not that. My job is to act in a loving way, or at least in a kind and respectful way toward my neighbor, to serve them as best they can, whoever that neighbor may be. That's what I try for, at least. And when people do this, 
Just the actions, without worrying too, too much about our internal motivations, the effect can be profound. It can be profound on the neighbor and profound on the actor. And I mean actor in both senses of the word, the one who's doing the action and also the actor playing a role. Because even people we do love, we don't feel that love streaming every second of every day. Any parent, any spouse, anybody who's ever loved anyone knows that. You just have to fake it till you make it sometimes. You just have to do things for someone because they need to be done. And the love may follow. The Sufi mystic Hafiz puts it this way. Even after all this time, the sun never says to the earth, you owe me. Look what happens with a love like that. It lights up the whole sky. We can't be everyone's sun lighting up their whole sky. We may not be able to be anyone's sun. It may not be reasonable to aspire to feel love for our every neighbor, especially when you read the news these days. But we can aspire to become more and more loving actors. We can each grow our capacity to love more through our actions, and that is enough. The heart is a muscle, and the more we push its limits, the more it grows, the stronger it gets, and the more love we're able to channel out into the world. It can be hard work. Sometimes it can seem impossible. But looking around this troubled world, can anyone argue that we don't need more love and more of us working in the service of love? In so doing, we can become conduits of universal love, and we can rest assured that the very natural limitations of our hearts won't get in the way. At the end of the day, we'll be able to sing to one another as Tevya and Golda sang. Our final hymn is Lean on Me. The words are in the order of service.